Welcome to The Coda, a music podcast and the perfect endnote to your week. I'm Rob Christofferson, and with me, he's the squirrel nut to my zippers, Oof. the 400 unit to my Jason Isbell, Brian Hasty. Brian, it's uh, the Christmas season, and, and for the first time all year, I, I would say there's hope on the horizon for a lot of things. Uh, I feel hopeful, Brian, but uh, more importantly, how are you doing? I, uh, I'm a vat of pessimism. Mm-hmm. There's no way that I feel as hopeful as you do. Uh, I think that I've seen the inside of every man's soul, and it is sad and dark and uh, decrepit. That's completely fair. And uh, for the subject of this episode, uh, we are getting to our obligatory year-end episode, if you remember last year. That was uh, our second episode, because that's how we fucking play things here. But um, with another year nearly in our rear view, December is a time when we look back at the culture we consumed. Uh, We parse the good from the bad, and we make lists. Lists are just a habit of life. And when you're young, lists serve a different purpose. Often they end up at the North Pole in the hands of a jolly man who brings you gifts. Kurt Russell. Yeah, oh yeah, it's totally Kurt Russell. Totally Kurt Russell. Uh, As you age, lists are more and more perishable, full of grocery store items and to-dos. For the hobbyists, the cultural commentators, and those that make their money on telling people what to give a shit about, lists are essential. And December is the time of year when pedantic men make lists. You could say, it is the time of year for jolly old St. Frick. And similarly for us, it's the most obligatory time of the year. If you listened to our obligatory year-end episode last year, it will have the same format this year. First up, we'll be giving you our top three albums of the year. So, uh, Brian, why don't you kick us off? So, uh, my first entry is a bit of an odd one, so I'm going to go ahead and list off my number three, which is Bob Dylan's Rough and Rowdy Ways. I mean, an eight-minute song about the JFK assassination, the pinnacle of amazing songwriting. The whole album. Are you fucking trolling me right now? Yes, of course I am. Uh, I wrote down it's the perfect album to whittle little bears with and shit. (laughs) That, That makes complete total fucking sense to me, yeah. No, I'm going to go ahead and uh, pick something that's probably uh, most obvious to anyone who's ever listened to the podcast. I'm going to go with uh, Dua Lipa's Future Nostalgia in my number three spot. Um, so the album came out in March, and I, I, it's kind of a weird year for both you and I and I think the world in general in that like, I delineate like before and after. So like mid-March to, uh, let's say like mid-April was kind of like this dark period where not anything came out, and then slowly things started to trickle out again. But this is from the before time. It comes from... Uh, early March, and uh, what an album. It's it's an impossibly cool album from the title track, uh, Future Nostalgia, which kings things off, to uh, Levitating, to the smash hits, uh, and like a very danceable tracks, Don't Start Now and Physical, as well as the uh, track 
Love Again, which samples, of course, or interpolates White Town's Your Woman, which was a really great surprise. And I also felt like that type of sampling reminded me of Madonna's mid... Like, around 05, 06, she had, like, a, a lot of output coming out, especially on her Confessions of a Dance Floor album with, like, mm. flirtations with disco for that album in touring cycle. So I feel like it kind of harkens back to that, but it's it's so much more. Um, uh, there is also the uh, Club Fusion Nostalgia uh, album out there, which is a, an album of remixes, which actually add a lot. Like, um, there's a great Levitating remix uh, featuring Missy Elliott, for example. And so, like, I feel like the entire album from start to back is, is a really fun romp it's pop music done right it doesn't overstay its welcome it's not 17 18 19 20 tracks long it's actually like pretty perfect for what it is it's one of the damn best pop albums that i listened to this year and i and you had some big people releasing pop albums this year ariana grande um you had um miley cyrus you and what's amazing is like Rolling Stone basically clumped all of these four uh, women that I can't remember all of them off the top of my head right now, but uh, kind of the biggest women in pop music, they clumped all their releases together and their best of at the end of the year. And I'm like, what bullshit is this? Like, way to cop out, Rolling Stone, you bunch of bitches. And I mean, they put that Bob Dylan album at number four, so I'm, I'm not really surprised. And they ranked fucking... ACDC at like 45. I think it's like 43, yeah. Yeah, fuck that. Fuck that bullshit. (laughs) Yeah, no, I got really angry, and that's where I got the impetus to add the Bob Dylan joke. And here's while I was reading that list the other day, and I was like, you know what, I'm going to go ahead and and start things off with with a fake fake out. Uh, You know, it was effective. I appreciate that. I do, because it it really fucked with me, Brian, and I don't know if I'm going to be able to recover from that. But you you do have a number three in the pipeline, though, that hopefully will help you recover from from dealing with Bob Dylan. Yeah. um, Hold on a second, because I want to bring up this this list here for a second, because uh, let's be honest, uh, Rolling Stone is a a dumpster fire. I will say the uh, Barty's Strange album that they had at number 50. Actually, pretty good. I listened to it. It's it's a pretty good album. Um, But I want to give you the clumping of like pop queens that they just like threw together because they didn't know how to fucking rank them very well um uh here we go so at uh number 25 you had halsey with manic you 24 selena gomez with rare 23 miley cyrus plastic hearts and 22 ariana grande positions like it does that not scream uh we just there we just put them together the, the funny thing, too, sake. is that they're all wildly, like, varied albums in terms of tone, right? Like, it's, it's yes. so strange to stick them together. Yeah, it is It is absolutely fucking weird to to really stick them in the, in the same area. But, I mean, like, the bitch tits that is Rolling Stone magazine is uh, pulls this shit all the time. I mean, Bruce Springsteen, Letter to You, at number 12, the most boring Bruce Springsteen <laughs> album I've listened to in quite some time. Yeah. Yeah, this this list is is absolutely bullshit, but they did rank uh, Future Nostalgia at number five, which uh, I I give them credit for, I guess. 
Yeah, I guess. I didn't really, like, I just, I feel it has more so to do with, like, positioning in terms of, like, where she is in the posture than the actual output, though. Especially with the list like this, right? Yeah, exactly. I mean, they ranked uh, Folklore as number one, and uh, I think that's bullshit. It's the ultimate, bullshit yeah, uh, the ultimate ellipses kind of moment there is when I saw Folklore mm-hmm. number one. I was just like, I don't, I can't see it. I really, like, it once, mm-hmm. like, and you and, I, you've, uh, and I have talked about this, it's just, it's it's too long. It's just too long. It's it's a little too long. You could have paired some of those t- tracks down. Some of them didn't even need to be there. But, you know, that is what it is. So, um, for number three for me, uh, a pair of my favorite albums this year revolve around driving. And they're like soundtracks to landscapes passing you by at like 55. The first of these is uh, Oh Boy by our first and only guest to this podcast thus far, Lydia Liza and Big Cats. From top to bottom... Oh Boy is one of the best produced albums of the year, and I will fucking hang my hat on that. It is the tightest 30 minutes that you will listen to, and this is a collection of tracks by a a pair of people that have worked together for a long-ass time and really know what they're doing. uh, To give you guys a refresher on who they are big cats he is a producer composer and a a podcaster from minneapolis he's composed music for like cnn call of duty the golden state fucking warriors for christ's sakes um he's worked with lizzo mac miller pos sage francis a number of other artists he composed the theme song for my former podcast and uh, you know i consider him to be a good friend i've known him for a while lydia liza is an amazing singer songwriter also from minneapolis she's been writing songs for years she's been playing in bands since she was in in her teens and last year she released uh one of my favorite albums of unsound mind uh her vocal style and delivery can be so damn haunting and emotional and she just writes amazing songs that just have the ability to linger with you and and to me that is the uh, mark of a good songwriter is if a song can linger with you you know long after you've uh, exited out of your app or whatever And at the beginning of the year, the two released a project that was two years in the making by that point. Um, Oh, boy. And I think in most circumstances, a project like this does not work. But given the fact that they've been writing music for years together, and each of them knows how to play off each other's strengths, this album benefits from that a lot. Because I don't think necessarily that singer-songwriters work very well with composers that produce like beats and, and, and stuff like that, but they manage to work within the spaces that they're given, and it, it works exceedingly well. Uh, many of the characters on this album feel like they're driving to or away from something. On the song More Than This, the female narrator is leaving a relationship with a toxic man. Uh, the song ends with probably one of the most haunting lyrics I've heard all year, I am the gasoline to your fiery belief that you are more than this, but are you? Like, that's that's fucking amazing. Uh, on the song before that, uh, Driving Down the Five, the narrator is driving towards someone that they can't get out of their mind. There are also like a number of interludes on here that actually add to the landscape of the record that you're listening to. So they, they make you see landscapes almost uh there's uh one called all hail heartbreak and another one called deserter and and they're both amazing um i think the highlight on this album is a song called life in here 
It's a haunting near three-minute song about the choices we make and don't make and how they affect our lives. Uh, Sims makes a guest appearance on this track, and all three of them are able to mesh together so fucking well. It's, it's great. Um, this is probably an album you overlooked. Even if you listened to our episode when we had Lydia Liza and Big Cats on, it's an album you overlooked. You need to go listen to it. It is haunting, depressing, but its length is the perfect length for a record like that. And like last year, my number two was uh, Ghosting by Nick Cave and the Bad Seeds. And that album was incredibly fucking long and it was meant to be, but this album, just the perfect fucking length. I do agree with that assessment. It's a great album. Uh, unfortunately, it did not make my top three because uh, I've had quite the weird year and this list will definitely <laughs> reflect that. I, I mean, I've seen your Spotify wrapped and... Uh, very confusing. Very confusing, it, yeah. it, It's very confusing considering I like I know most of the styles of music that you you spend your time with. And like, I think work ruins your listening habits. Yeah. So I have a work playlist that I use because uh, I do a lot of writing. So I kind of need like mindless pop music. So my top artist of the year was Calvin Harris. My number five song of the year was uh, Mark Morrison's Return of the Mac. Um, <laughs> it, this is fine. It's fine. Uh, how often do you update that playlist? Uh, pretty regularly. I have like a couple I shuffle through. Um, so that's, that's definitely one of them on there. So yeah, just return to the Mac. I will note that uh, definitely if you go to Calvin Harris's page on Spotify, he looks like a bitch. He just yeah. looks like Also, a bitch. I'm like top 0.5% of all Calvin Harris fans out there, so don't fuck with me. Are you fucking kidding me? Yeah, that's, that's what I got in my rap. I was like, all right, this is this is definitely on point for me, of course. And this is like the second or third year in a row where my work playlist ruins my like listening habits. Because uh, I don't want to spend my time listening to new stuff because I actually want to pay attention to what I listen to. If it's if, if, if it's a new album versus like putting Ace of Bass on, it's, it's just fine. Yeah, yeah. Um, it, it's definitely those moments where I uh, look over at the, my friends on Sp- on Spotify and I see you listening to, like, the most bad shit stuff that I, I can ever think of you listening to. But, uh, you know, that's, uh, that's par for the course when you're uh, dealing <laughs> with a, a work environment uh, and, you know, especially a work environment that's launching into new markets. But... That is what it is. It's true. And speaking of like wild and weird things that you uh, caught me listening to, my number two is, is quite of a weird one. And uh, it's not even on streaming platforms. It is an album by a man who I love dearly. His name is Neil Cicierga. And he released uh, in late September uh, an album called Mouth Dreams. And basically what he does is he's a mash- mashup artist. But he does, um, like Girl Talk traditionally does, uh, takes like elements of pop songs and puts them together. Whereas Neil kind of like takes an absurdist take on this and kind of puts things together. So, for example, in his last album, he had a track called Annoyed Grunt, which used uh, Tim Allen's Annoyed Grunt um, and featured things like Disturbed and a clip from uh, uh, Larry King's CNN appearance. And then on the same album, he had a song called Bustin', which basically took Ray Parker Jr.'s uh, uh, theme song and kind of uh, insinuated that he banged ghosts, which was kind of incredible to listen to. So uh, this is definitely a colossal undertaking of mashup genius. Uh, Neil... It manages to manipulate, distort, and reinvent songs and well-known pieces of pop culture to create new meaning. Because I'm a, a postmodernist boy, I do believe that meaning is derived from uh, the end user and not necessarily the person creating the art. Um, smashing together, for example, uh, Nine Inch Nails "Closer" with Al City's "Fireflies," tip the iceberg. Uh, he continues uh, to kind of amaze. He combines a SpongeBob SquarePants track with Queen's "We Will Rock You." And then smashes together Hoobas Thanks the Reason while re-editing Johnny Cash's lines in Folsom Prison Blues and dropping in some vocals from Justin Bieber's Baby for Maximum Enjoyment. He basically edits 
um, Folsom Prison Blues to just have Johnny Cash keep saying that he, that he was a baby and when he was a baby he did different things, um, which is kind of incredible to listen to. Um, and also because all things are relational here on the coda, there's a track called Ribs where Neil takes uh, Isaac Hayes singing the jingles to Chili's Baby Back Ribs song uh, mixed in with vocals from Marilyn Manson's Beautiful People. And the backing musical track is Everybody Wants to Rule the World by Tears for Fears. What the fuck is this? Bro? It's so good. It's so good. Uh, you're never quite sure what to expect when it comes to Neil's projects, and this album really pays off. It's a real sonic surprise. And what I enjoy about this is it reminds me of like the way that I'd listen to 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 noise music, and that like the structure of a conventional song isn't necessarily there, so you don't know where he's about to take you. And I really enjoy that aspect of like seeing what he's gonna flip next or what source he pulls from because it's never quite evident. Um, uh, the the different weird combinations he's going to put together. So really, like it it is. A, a love note to the way that I enjoy culture in a very like splintered manner. I don't even know what to say right now, honestly. It's just <laughs> it is uh, concepts that I can't even wrap my head around unless I actually fucking listen to them. But uh, it sounds incredible, and I understand why it's not on streaming services. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I and like no um, like uh, piece because I, I I don't even want to call them songs, but but no piece actually like overstays its welcome. It's not quite as long and there are songs that are clearly designed to annoy too which i find very interesting in terms of like um uh where they are on the album i and it's interesting because yeah a lot of music is is meant to be liked but there are certain parts in this that are definitely meant to bring out the monotony of of pop music and sort of like just put it on display which i find very interesting fascinating just utterly fucking fascinating i uh i i i don't know what else to fucking say to that. <laughs> i i really don't it's just uh i i guess you gotta listen to it to really wrap your head around it yeah it's a it's a capital e experience right so like that's yeah. that's kind of what i've been taking it as and I, every time i listen to it i end up listening to the whole thing so yeah yeah that's completely fair um my my number two selection will surprise nobody. I am a basic bitch this year. Uh, Reunions by Jason Isbell, huge, four hundred unit. Huge surprise. Huge surprise. Jason Isbell, four hundred <laughs> unit. Gee, oh, mm, interesting. I wasn't sure if you're gonna put it at number two or number one. I've been an Isbell stand for over a fucking decade. I've been listening to Jason Isbell since like 2010. I was with him before the the real glow up, and uh, I I think I've had this greater appreciation for his music even before southeastern really like took off his career but uh on reunions they explore a little like slightly different sonic territory than they're normally used to but uh in terms of like clarity in the in the way that the songs are presented this is probably like one of the easiest records of his to get into at times, like, some of the guitars get into very jammy territory. The keyboard choices from uh, Derry de Borgia on this record are very interesting, especially when you get to the uh, biggest track uh, on this album, which I'll get into in a bit here. What I love about Jason Isbell's writing on this record, and really on all his records, is how his introspections are so universal in, in the way that they come off. It's relatable. It's easy to find yourself in the characters that he crafts, especially since he's taking the care. He's taking himself and putting him into these characters. And a lot of the times he writes character studies. That's, that's really what his music is about. Even if it's very personal to him, the characters that he's using are not him himself, but uh, they're vehicles to tell of, stories and emotions and stuff like that and alongside 
these really intimate and personal stories and where you get some of the differences is like larger anthemic like songs. So the album opens up with a song called what have I done to help, which is it's very introspective. Once you get past the, the main hook of the song, it's about a guy, you know, dealing with his life and finding comfort and memories while he's trying to drift off to sleep at night um, of, of things in his past. But as he sings the title phrase, it's as if he's reaching out to just, like, anyone who's listening, you know, asking them to reflect on the things they've done to help themselves or to help other people. Like, it's very anthemic in the way that it comes off. And that song kind of shares a kinship with the biggest anthem on this album, which is uh, Be Afraid. It's a prog roots rocking anthem directed at other musicians and celebrities telling them to you know fucking lend a hand already and you know speak their minds you know speak your fucking truth despite what people might think unless your name is fucking travis tritt you can go right to fucking hell but <laughs> it's delivered in such a fucking way that that is so great so one of the great lines in this song the stage belongs to you and you feel like a star and you can bark and snap like a dog at the man who just tuned your guitar and i don't think you even recognize the kid in the wings and i don't think you've ever seen her in yourself she looks to you for what to do with all her delicate dreams but you're too terrified to be of any help this song addresses like kind of all that shit you're a celebrity you're you're given a certain level of status and given the year that we've had and that goddamn imagine video that will never leave my fucking psyche it haunts me to this day uh i mean just earlier today fucking cardi b tweeting about a fucking purse for 88 grand like sold i don't want to fucking hear it celebrities have been the biggest fucking letdown of this entire pandemic with one Wrong. exception with one exception and that's dolly fucking parton oh i was gonna say the imagine video is quite good I'm going to fucking kill you. <laughs> I'm going to fucking kill you. The, I'm going to uh, fucking kill you. I'm sorry, friend. It was the epitome of, of, of artists doing right here. Let's, let's be honest here. Oh, yeah. Okay, yeah. Mm, sure, sure, Brian. <laughs> Do you remember the, the, what is it, the Some Good News Network that uh, John Krasinski yeah, the John, did? The, and then sold it abruptly? Yeah, and then sold it. Like, that is like the epitome of this shit. It was started out as something wholesome, and he's like, oh, I've got other work to do. Here we go. Let's sell it for a million dollars. Fuck celebrities, all right? Fuck celebrities. And that's kind of what that song has been for me is this fuck celebrities moment, and I appreciate that. Fucking Christ. But some of the other songs uh, on here that are great, Dreamsicle is a fantastic song about basically having to uh, move a lot saying goodbye to friends before you even had time to really make them and you know wishing your father played a bigger presence in your life the imagery that he creates in that song of like eating a uh, a dreamsicle like in a backyard in a lawn chair is just incredible fucking incredible uh overseas is the anthem for lovers that are separated by miles and and missing them every damn day I think my favorite track on here is a song called uh, St. Peter's Autograph, which is a, a song about trying to help your significant other through the death of a friend. It's uh, the, the I would say it's the big tearjerker of this album. Maybe uh, Only Children is the other one, uh, which is a very Jason Isbelly song. That's something that 
since Southeastern that's been kind of his thing. But, it, like, even before then, I think, like, Dress Blues, you go back to, I think it, that was on his first album. That's probably the tearjerker on there. You could probably trace every tearjerker that he's ever had on any, every album. But uh, Isbell has stated that there are, are, like, a fuck ton of ghosts on this record. And it's a motif that he returns to often again and again, like, living ghosts, dead ghosts, like, memories, fucking actual people. Fucking A, it's just a great damn record. Go check it out if you haven't fucking listened to it. I feel like it's a perfect summation of the album, uh, having listened to it uh, throughout the year on and off. Yeah, I, I do feel like um, knowing your brand of, uh, of Sad Bastard Rock and uh, what you enjoy, I felt like it was pretty much in line with things that you enjoy. It's definitely in line with the level of Sad Bastard, like my normal level of Sad Bastard, the even keel level of it. Uh, it's definitely on brand for me. I also would just like to say, uh, Derry DeBerge's fucking keyboard choices on Be Afraid almost lend the, give the song like a carnival-like atmosphere, mm. which I really enjoyed. I really enjoyed that. So really, it was just the, the, the icing on top of a really good cake. It, it, exactly. Fucking exactly. I'm going to move ahead to my number one pick, which uh, uh, should not be a surprise, but may surprise some. It is um, Code Orange's Underneath. And in my notes, I wrote down in all caps, gather around to get punched in the face. So that's that's where I'm going for my top record of the year. Code Orange continues what they started on 2017's Forever by pushing the limbs of what it means to blend hardcore, industrial, as well as metalcore elements. The album is 47 minutes long. And it is pure of like uh, face-punching bliss. Um, I'm very happy and interested. I find it very interesting. They actually got a Grammy nomination for the title track, which is the last track on the record. Um, I would suggest also checking out the track Who I Am, which is, I think, the fourth track on the record, uh, which features guitarist Rebba Myers taking lead vocals while she also um, shreds on the track. It is so enjoyable. Um, there's a lot here. It's a lot of peaks and valleys and, and kind of takes you on, on a journey. And I, I hate how cliche that sounds, but it's quite true when you sit down and you go through the entire thing. Um, where I felt like Forever was was really, really good and in contention for one of my favorite records of the year. This is like next level in terms of everything that I've enjoyed. And I feel like the only thing they've done in between that and this music-wise um, was they recorded uh, Bray Wyatt's theme song last year, which I thought was really cool and performed it live on NXT. So interesting very interesting uh this is the uh the fiend the Wait, fiend yeah okay yeah okay excellent but yeah i really really enjoy the entire thing i think it's worth checking out if you enjoy um uh medical or industrial uh, anything of that lineage i feel like uh to all fans out there who enjoy like loud guitars as well as like uh, a lot of like a uh, very processed sounds i thought was really interesting there's a lot of layering going on here too um production wise not just in terms of uh, guitars, but like a lot of like different sound elements that they uh, managed to recreate during. Um, so they've been doing a series of like live streams. So they did an acoustic one. They did one in, in March, which was supposed to be the record release party. And they did another one uh, about a month ago now. And uh, all three were very different and also very enjoyable. As we've established on this fucking podcast, uh, you know, you went from all in Brian Hasty to all point uh, on point Brian Hasty <laughs> for 2020. And uh, this is definitely an on-point pick for you, Brian. Uh, the Grammy nod is, is definitely deserved. I mean, don't get me wrong. Like, the Grammys are a dumpster fire. But to have a band like this see some some kind of recognition, I'm, I'm all for The The metal performance uh, picks this year weren't awful like they usually are. So Yeah. If there's anything I will say about these Grammys coming up is that more indie artists are being highlighted, which is very strange to me, given the normal state of things. Also, another thing that I'm not used to is... Uh, 
music artists uh, taking to social media to bitch about their Grammy snubs, but uh, you know, whatever. It is a dumpster fire. It'll always be a dumpster fire. Exactly. It, yeah. It's all I have to say is Jethro Tull over Metallica, right? And that's that's mm. all I got to say about that. Yeah. Talk about a group of people that are completely out of touch with the music they're nominating. But you know, that's that's uh, that's a solid pick, Brian. That's a solid. Brian Hasty pick right there. Yeah, I mean, it came out in March, and I'm still listening to it now, like, at the end of the year, so I feel like it's a pretty consistently great record. Um, you know, if it's not my uh, Calvin Harris work playlist, it's it's going to be this, probably that, or, you know, um, Lamb of God's newest, which mm. actually should have taken the place of the ACDC album on the Rolling Stone list, if they're mm. going to go, like, mainstream metal, but, like, whatever, that's all I got to say. If representation is something that you're looking for, you could at least go for a worthy pick of representation than on a, a goddamn list, you know? Yep, for sure. That's that's all I'm saying. That's all I'm saying. Um, my number one choice should surprise nobody because I've talked about this album many times before it came out in February. I think I've talked about it at least three times on this fucking podcast. Uh, Expectations by Katie Pruitt. This is the kind of coming-of-age album I wish I had when I was a teenager. It's an album that is like a journey of self-acceptance, finding the love that you want and wanting to hold on to it forever and fucking ever, despite knowing that love cannot last forever. But I think this is like one of the most honest albums about love that I've ever fucking listened to. Um, It opens up with a track called Wishful Thinking. And um, these are just the opening lyrics to the song. I don't believe in love, dear... Least not the kind you've got to find. I'd see it everywhere I look, dear. If only I looked at it right. Some people call it magic, an everlasting wind, and others say it's tragic. Once you love and can never love again. That right there is every fucking love song and 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 heartbreak song that has ever been fucking written. Just nicely condensed, summarized in in a fucking verse right there. That's it. Everybody, you're out of business right now. Katie Pruitt just fucking did it in one verse. Just see you at my Calvin Harris uh, playlist, guys. Uh, yeah, no, it's just been mixed. Uh, fuck Calvin Harris, but, uh, you know, that is that is what it is. There are songs that get just fucking deep, and uh, Katie Pruitt is a gay artist, so, like, she explores... Uh, the conflicted emotions that she had about being gay and growing up in Georgia and going to a Catholic school. There's a song called Normal, which is the way that she puts it into the song is about resenting who she was growing up in that school, hiding her sexuality, wishing she was normal, wanting what normal girls want. And, like, that's a fucking devastating song. It's just... Um... Fuck. Uh, but uh, one of the best fucking lyrics to the end of the song the world told us to fit in we did the opposite so uh fuck yeah fuck that yeah yeah that's the shit i want that is the shit i want on records i want that acceptance fucking a um the song that precedes it is um it it, it was a heavy in rotation all year for me uh, a song called out of the blue you know, a song about love that gets away with away from you, you know, due to one thing or the other. The the fucking chorus on this song fucking soars. It fucking flies. Uh it, it's it's just fucking amazing. As the album progresses, every song feels like 
almost like a new lesson learned until Pruitt goes from like resenting her feelings to sharing them to letting them out to not conforming to what any of her peers or parents would want to say she has uh, in interviews said that uh, you know she's got conservative parents and uh, she talked about how hard it was to try to make her father understand and to this day I don't I don't even know if he does but this album is just fucking amazing from top to bottom and and I'm not even talking I'm, I'm just talking about the lyrical content here the the fucking songwriting is fucking amazing she is one hell of a guitar player she she worked with a great producer and uh, they crafted this album over the course of four years uh, she wrote all these songs on her own uh, and then um, you know together in the studio they fucking put together an amazing album it's 10 songs long go fucking listen to it if anything for this uh, there's a song on there it's a second to last song called loving her and on it she says uh, you see i used to be ashamed to write a song that said her name because i was too afraid of what they might say but if loving her is wrong and it's not right to write this song then i'm still not gonna stop and you can turn the damn thing off which is like one of the best sentiments ever fucking especially as the the album progresses fucking a you don't like it turn the fucking record off what's great about that is it's the ninth song on the fucking album (laughs) so um katie pruitt expectations go fucking listen to it it's just a completely amazing album that is a, a it, it almost felt like I was listening to the infomercial like version of this. Like I definitely would uh, with a lot more swearing though. I feel uh, I felt it was needed, uh, given that uh, we're in 2020 and people are still shaming their kids for being gay or having different pronouns, uh, loving who they want to love, and we're still shaming uh, people are still shaming their kids over that. No, fuck that. Amen. It needs it needs to to be said. So fuck them. Fuck, if your parents don't love you after after you come out to them, I love you. We all love you. So, fuck them. Yeah, there normalize preferred pronouns, guys. Come on. Yes, absolutely. It's not that hard. No, it's not that hard at all. Speaking of things that are hard, though, before I forget, uh, the uh, ongoing um, Coda Challenge is still going on. I'm still trying to get blocked by the trap guy. It's not working out quite well. But today is uh, December 7th as we're recording, and he is advocating for uh, pedophilia. So Yes. Yes. Uh, Twitter, fucking take this shit down. The, the, biggest crime, the biggest crime in all of this, there's not an easy way to report pedophilia on Twitter. Uh, why? Why, Twitter? This is bullshit. He basically said his argument is that a 15-year-old man who, a male, not man, I should say, because he's 15, having sex with a, a, a female teacher in her 20s or 30s is perfectly okay. Uh, to yep. me, that that is pedophilia. That is completely pedophilia, and uh, that man just needs to be canceled. Um, Ice-T, you said you were going to take care of this shit. Go yeah, take care of this shit. Yeah, let's do it, yeah. Yeah, get it done. <sighs> He just wants. I think he 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 likes being the bad guy. Like he must be the most hated man on earth, and like he's well on his way because there are a lot of stupid hot takes out there, um, including this one, which is just like next level stupid and surprising. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and then you wonder why Trump doesn't want you to play any of his events. Uh, <laughs> I wonder, wonder maybe because your band sucks and they only play one fucking song. 
um, that anybody really gives a shit. Like, nobody cares about who's who's going home with you tonight. Nobody cares. No, no. Nobody cares. Um, so, Brian, your, your underrated release for this year. Rob, you're going to love this one. You're going to love mm-hmm. this one because it is so on brand for me. Um, it uh, So, I picked Ghost Mane's Anti-Icon. So, basically, Ghost Mane is a rapper who is doing now... Uh, he does trap... With industrial elements, so kind of like Death Grips, but uh, uh, with more uh, harsh vocal asylings. So Anti-Icon <laughs> was produced by Ross Robinson, the godfather of new metal. And mm-hmm. uh, uh, Ghost Mane loves uh, different subsets of musical genres, including black metal. He has his own black metal project. He's put stuff out. But he also um, is a really uh, great rapper. Um, it's fun to listen to because he's aggro. It is a very al- dangerous album to listen to in your car. If you listen to tracks like Lazaretta or AI... Um, you will hit the gas. Uh, the album's only 35 minutes long. It is short, but it is worthwhile. Uh, definitely um, something a lot more people would enjoy as we've kind of given up on musical genres over the past little while. I feel like there's less clicks going on. We kind of like what we like. So I feel in that spirit, more people should give this album a try. Um, it came out about a month ago and it's uh, or a month and a half ago. And I really, I can't find fault with it. I really, really enjoy the rapped, yelled, whispered, sung portions of, of it all. Mm-hmm. On point, Brian Hasty. I uh, I dig it. I, <laughs> it sounds amazing. Definitely worth a listen. What you got, Rob? Uh, I um, there were a lot of albums I considered for this one, but I'd settled on what I think is the most important release to fall through the cracks that most early releases do. And I think the theme of my picks this year is that most of the releases are are from like the first three months of the year, so. Be that as it may, uh, the unraveling by the drive-by truckers is the mm. kind of record designed to remind you of the times that we live in, especially if you're an American. Uh, much like Jason Isbell, DBT writes character studies, the kind of characters that you don't often think about because they live on back roads in then in nameless towns. Uh, with their last two releases, American Band and now The Unraveling, those portraits are becoming more real. Like, if you listen to a lot of their early records, the people that they're talking about almost sound like caricatures. Not anymore. Uh, given that the band chose real-life photos instead of the West Freed commissioned art that they normally go with, it's clear that the band is looking to touch a nerve, and they have, quite frankly. Uh, the opening ballad... Rosemary with a Bible and a gun is a rolling scenic pastoral that tries to reimagine the Rockwellian world America is often portrayed as. The song closes with these fucking lyrics. Um, One kiss could charm the dark to light the dawn. This roller coaster highway can't compare to the fun of Memphis saturated in decay and on the run. Rosemary with a Bible and a gun, Uh, which is just. It's Patterson Hood who does a lot of the songwriting on this album, and normally he uh, shares credits with uh, another guitar player in the band named Mike Cooley. Cooley doesn't have as many songs on this. Normally they split it pretty evenly, but uh, Cooley only has two songs on this one. And um, the the follow-up track to that is uh, the most single-worthy song of the bunch, uh, Armageddon's Back in Town, an uproarious rocker that personifies whatever force is responsible for the end of it all, proclaiming that there is no healing from the art of double-dealing and that 
everything seems inevitable. Uh, from there, the album touches on the uselessness of thoughts and prayers when action is required, the opioid epidemic, heroin use, the separation of families on the track Babies in Cages. The album feels like a terrifying cross-country drive building to some kind of mounting destruction. The stakes ratchet up with each subsequent track. The only hope to be found on this record is in the liner notes. Quote, Don't give up the fight and never stop chasing the dream. Vote and resist. Sometimes that's the best we can do. See you at the rock show. Sincerely, the DBTs. (laughs) And what I find stirring about a lot of what the drive-by truckers do is that they never claim to have an answer. Uh, On their previous album, American Band, there's a song called What It Means. And it's a song about racial violence against uh, black people in this country. And he literally tells you, don't ask me what it means because I don't know what it means. I think it's up to bands to highlight the problems, but it's up to us to fix things and figure out what the solutions are. So if anything, I, I feel like this album reached a lot of people and it touched a lot of nerves and I hopefully in 2021 things will start to turn around. But uh, if you haven't listened to the unraveling, I, I think it sums up a lot of what people have been feeling for the last four fucking years. So there you have it. A very in-depth read of, of a great album. I remember we talked about it earlier on this year when you had, uh, you'd purchased the vinyl, right? I did. Yeah. So yeah. So that uh, leads us to a release that uh, came to us out of left field, Brian. And uh, last year you made that uh, as ambiguous as possible. So it only makes sense to uh, continue the ambiguousness of what that means. So what left field album are you bringing to the table this time? All right, Rob. So I'm going to give you an album that uh, you had already listed off earlier um, in conjunction with talking about um, different other lists. And that is Miley Cyrus's Plastic Hearts. Um, so it came out uh, a couple of weeks ago. Uh, mm-hmm. It rules. Uh, it Andrew does. Watt produced most of it. So he's most well-known recently for producing Post Malone's Hollywood's Burning, which turned into producing Ozzy's Surprisingly Decent Ordinary Man, which also came out this year. Um, I wasn't quite sure what to expect, and I enjoyed her Mark Ronson collabo from last year or the year before. Uh, Nothing qu- breaks quite like a heart. And uh, I was really surprised at how cohesive this was as a piece of work. It mixes the best of like 80s glam rock, 80s arena rock with a pinch of pop and a pinch of synth pop. There are appearances by uh, Dua Lipa on Prisoner, which is a standout track, as well as Nightcrawling featuring Billy Idol as well as uh, Joan Jett on another track. And Nightcrawler for me is uh, definitely one of those anthemic songs that I uh, have found myself sort of like um, uh, saying in my head randomly. Uh, while uh, doing work, so I really, really enjoy that. And the album is capped off with a couple of covers that she performed live, including um, Blondie, as well as the Cranberries uh, Zombie, which was a really interesting, heavier take on the song that is also uh, miles ahead of that shitty Bad Wolves cover. Oh, God, yeah. Um, I completely fucking agree. That is definitely an album that I think surprised a lot of people. It is... um, Of the albums that... I think we're meant to be surprises. It's probably the best. Uh, if you compare it to things like uh, Ticket to My Downfall, which... Um, best pop punk album ever, go on. 
Mm, yeah. And I and I just want to say, because I've seen a lot of people, you know, just like put that album up on a pedestal, just because an artist reimagines themselves doesn't mean they made a great album. It's not good. It's it, objectively not good. No. Uh, he, he, again, we've, we've discussed like the faults of it, but uh, I, I think uh, just given the fact that I don't think anybody cared about Miley Cyrus doing covers or anything like that, this album surprised a lot of people. I think so too. Yeah, it was, it was really fun to listen to the original content and then go to listen to like the uh, mashup of Midnight Sky, mm-hmm. um, you know, I, with like a, with Stevie Nicks's Edge of Seventeen, and then uh, Stevie has a couple of lines in there too. I, I felt like that was a great capper to to a really great product that sort of like blended old and new in ways that I really really enjoyed it. Uh, stellar release, uh, definitely uh, my favorite uh, latter end of the year release so uh yeah, yeah if you if you haven't gone gone and listened to it please do yeah it's also good to drive around to like the first track what the mm-hmm. fuck have i done it's it's super solid um it's yeah i really was surprised at how much i found myself listening to it uh front to back so yeah absolutely absolutely what you got rob my final release is um, an album that, uh, yeah, came out toward the beginning of the year in February. The album is uh, called El Dorado. It's by an artist named Marcus King. Marcus King is a throwback, and uh, he, since he was a teenager, he has been touring with a band called the Marcus King Band. They normally do like more southern, rocky, uh, just really up-tempo kind of uh, rock songs that uh, you could definitely say is like, it veers a lot into Southern rock territory. But uh, on El Dorado, he worked with Dan Auerbach and together they uh, co-wrote, co-produced an album full of, I guess the best way to call it would be Blue-Eyed Soul uh, mm. R&B and um, it's kind of like if Chris Stapleton veered heavily into the R&B uh, heaviness to his voice and just like hung out there for an album which I don't think he'll ever do which is fine this album is as much Dan Auerbach's as, as it is Marcus King's it, it has his t- fucking touch all over it it's a beautiful collection of R&B soul crooning each track is really a gem including the hardest rocking one, which is called The Well. It's just a fucking, like, one of the best rock songs I've heard all fucking year. It seems like every year, one Dan Auerbach project speaks to me for whatever reason. And, like, I've, fall, I've long since fallen out of love with the Black Keys. So, uh, same. The, the, the producing, I, I guess that's what you're good at, Dan, because uh, this album is a fucking, it's a stunner. Uh, if you haven't listened to El Dorado... Go fucking listen to El Dorado. Uh, I'm not going to give you much because I think, like, each new song is is a great discovery on its own. Like, uh, you're getting a lot of just blue-eyed soul. Like I said, there's no there's no fucking dud on this album. It's uh, I feel like we 40s. talked about it earlier this year and yeah. uh, and talking about Dan Auerbach, and I think we talked about his production uh, on on Black Rock, which kind of is a standout there. So like yes, yeah, it's, uh, it's yeah. Last year, uh, I one of my albums of the year was uh, Walk Through Fire by Yola, and uh, he, he his production is all over that fucking record. And uh, for whatever reason, Dan Auerbach knows how to produce a good R and B record. Like an old old school R and B record, yeah. Th- this definitely could have been like a, uh, yeah, like a uh, a Daptones recording release. 
Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. He, he at times he just it almost sounds like he just like walked out of the fucking 60s uh, with the way his voice. And like if you look at pictures of Marcus King, he's got like the meanest case of baby face I've seen in an artist <laughs> uh, like ever. It's it's so uh, it's so fucking great. It's so fucking great. So uh, uh with that, I I think it's going to do it for this episode of The Coda. Brian, where can everyone find us on the internet? Well, we're most active on Twitter, so let's start over there. So you can find us at the Coda Podcast, all one word, my friend. And of course, you can then head on over to Instagram, where you can find us at Coda underscore podcast. And then also, if you feel the urge to email us, you can do so at thecodacast at gmail.com. And uh, please ignore our MySpace page. Yeah, no, don't even. Still under construction. Like, picture the under construction GIF with the blinking lights, and that's us. Yeah, exactly. Uh, until they bring back the old school walls, we are highly boycotting. <laughs> we uh, we are there in presence only. We are not there uh, to give you the biggest bang for your buck. We're we're, we're not going to do that. No, right exactly. Now. You know that's not that's not the social platform we want to be on right now. Yeah, and and uh, if you want, there's a uh, embedded. Into this episode, you can find Brian's fax number somewhere in this uh, entire thing. It's a mystery. Maybe you'll find it. Maybe you won't. But maybe, uh, I've, yeah, maybe I've I've banged on the mic encounter enough to sort of like let you guys know that there's a numeric value to each attached. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And maybe I'll take some of those out. <laughs> <laughs> but until then, folks, don't forget to keep the cans on. Mm-hmm.